Thursday, October 8th, 2014. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Polk Runyon. And tonight we present a discussion on the mysterious Nessaean document featured in Hippolytus' influential refutation of all heresies. Now, everybody loves a secret document, especially if, it's, if it is ancient and reveals secrets. And the good Bishop Hippolytus had a real doozy in his purported Nessaean Gnostic sermon, which forms chapter 5 of his marvelous refutation of all heresies, which, before Nagamati, yielded much of our knowledge of what the Gnostics were actually preaching. This Nessaean Gnostic sect is, according to the good bishop, venerating the cosmic serpent Hydra Draco et al., uh, and there and there are several, but they are mainly trying. What they're mainly trying to do is equate the Christian passion and resurrection with a series of ancient dying gods from Osiris, Persephone, to Adonis, the Phoenician, and Attis, the Anatolian, and to establish Jesus as the last of the year kings or green men of antiquity. Now, fortunately, Hippolytus provides us with a full transcript of his copy which, like Beowulf in its original, has suffered rewrite by both Jewish and Christian editors in attempts, like making Grendel a descendant of Cain, to add Old Testament prophecy and New Testament symbolism into the otherwise pagan dying God theme. The Nessaean document has influenced many modern occult writers, and for us, In the OTA, it's the main inspiration for our seasonal ceremonies besides the Rosh Hashanah tablets. It was Jesse Weston's From Ritual to Romance in 1920, which owes much to the Nessaean document. I believe it also influenced Helena Blavatsky, and for that, see page 355 of The Secret Doctrine, if you happen to have it there uh, on your floor as a doorstop. And in The Secret Doctrine... And her cohort, George S. Mead, did an excellent rendition of it in his Thrice Greatest Hermes, which Wesson uh, admits to have consulted. I also suspect it was one of Sir James Fraser's sources for, the, for his, his The Golden Bow, which in turn was a strong influence on Weston, Blavatsky, and others, including Young and Crowley. We will review the document and its assertions in uh, relation to the Holy Grail legend, which is Weston's thesis, and how it relates to our seasonal rites and to Marcosian Christianity. So if you want to find out where the Holy Grail's first holy blood came from, then tune in and we will open the bishop's old secret book. Now, uh, quite frankly, I was familiar with with the... uh, with Hippolytus's uh, refutation of all heresies, uh, and uh, and uh, you know, and of course, also familiar with Jesse Weston's from Ritual to Romance quite quite some time back. In fact, we've done we've done uh, broadcasts on from Ritual to Romance, and we've also done uh, you know we've also done several uh, several broadcasts uh, from this theme. But only recently did I realize that. That Hippolytus, Bishop Hippolytus, uh, had actually had a, a secret document and and uh, purported to be a Gnostic uh, uh, cosmology uh, that he used in in, in uh, setting up his refutation of all heresies. This was his main launching point, and and then I realized when I when I realized that. Just how influential this uh, this Nassaean document uh, that he had has been on all of us, and has been on modern occultism, and has had a tremendous uh, influence. And uh, so that's what we're going to discuss tonight: is is this this document, what it what it uh, what it is, and how it's been reconstructed, basically from Hippolytus's version of it. Um, now. I'm sure you're all familiar uh, from listening to our previous uh, shows on this uh, on this particular subject that Hippolytus' refutation of all heresies is one of those um, one of those documents that uh, has uh, enabled us to reconstruct 
a lot of, uh, of what uh, of what we what we knew about the Gnostics before we dug up the Nakamadi Library. Now, as a matter of fact, uh, in going through George Mead, Thrice Greatest Hermes, which is quite a that's 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 quite a quite a compilation. Uh, George Mead was a Theosophic scholar uh, who really really dug into this to this uh, this whole issue, and he compiled a a magisterial uh, version of the Hermetic Corpus and and documents related to it. And the Nasain document is certainly related to the Hermetic Corpus, so he was justified in that. And I actually I suspect. On reading Mead and then going and checking uh, the Nessaine uh, entry, I went to the secret doctrine, realizing that Mead was a theosophist, and I wondered. Uh, also, they they mention the cross uh, in the Nessaine document and relating it to the cross of the elements and 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 the quadrants of the zodiac and the cross of the elements and the uh, uh, and then the, the this cosmic serpent. Which uh, which the Nessaeans apparently were uh, were were uh, uh, equating with the uh, with the serpent of wisdom, and I realized that that this this uh, symbol that the, the that these theosophists developed, one of the symbols they have, is a Christian type cross with a snake curled around it, and I believe that it, that they derived this from this Nessaean document. And uh, and I think uh, perhaps when we get uh, done, you might you might you might tend to agree with me. But I suggest those of you who have mentioned, I, I remember I mentioned if you're using the, the secret doctrine on the floor as a doorstop, it's a great big, huge, thick thing. But on page 355, you'll find an essay, and uh, you'll find uh, Helena Blavatsky's uh, uh, her extrapolations from this essay and document. So what this document apparently was was a uh, was a uh, uh, a Gnostic or or perhaps even a proto-Gnostic compilation of references to ancient mythology in relation to the to the idea of the Christos, uh, which, as you recall, became uh, I think easily easily. Half of the Gnostic sects that we have evidence of uh, purported to be some kind of Christians. Uh, they they were trying to all, all of them at one point or another tried to to uh, to somehow or other incorporate uh, the Christian idea of the, of, of, the, of the descent of, of of the messenger and the Gnostic of, the, of Christ as the as and not just the Christos, but as the Paraclete or as the messenger from the uh, from the hidden God coming down to inform all of us uh, who carry the sparks of divinity originally derived from the hidden God. This this was uh, Jesus was our was our messenger. He was our wake up call. You know, he, he supposedly came down according to the Gnostics. He came down to tell us. How to get off the wheel and get back to uh, and get back to heaven, and that is, of course, heaven uh, in, a, in a Gnostic sense is way, way, way beyond the uh, the zodiac, beyond the realm of the the realm of the fixed stars. Uh, in fact, there were thirty thirty aeons according to the Valentinian system and the Marcosian system. There were thirty aeons, and also according to D. and Kelly's Enochian system, there were there were there were an ascending. Uh, there were ascending interlocking spheres of of thirty aeons that you had to go all the way up through before you could reach the the highest. Uh, you know, in in Enochian, of course, that's from from Teyots to Lille. Uh and um, in Valentinian. Uh, well, we've mentioned this many times before that that D. M. Kelly's uh, thirty aethers are. Are most probably derived from the Valentinian, the, the thirty aethers of the Valentinian system, and I would not be at all surprised if D. and Kelly, or didn't, or, or, or probably had a copy of Hippolytus that they in their and they probably did in their library somewhere. Now Hippolytus was a bishop, uh, an early Christian bishop, 
and he he decided that he was going to write this uh, refutation of all heresies, and he drew uh, not just on this Nessaheen document that he had, but he or, or this version of it that he had, which as Mead has suggested and as uh, most scholars agree, was worked over to put in Old Testament symbolism and also to put in New Testament symbolism. And the reason why I used Beowulf as an example of that is, as you all recall, in Beowulf, um, Grendel is supposed to have the mark of Cain. And that was some Christian monk's idea that that explained why Grendel couldn't be hurt by any sword or any spear any weapon. It's because he had the mark of Cain. And you know, if you recall, God put a mark on Cain, the murderer of Abel. He put a mark on him so that nobody could kill him. And uh, so that was how that came about. Well, we have some similar um, some similar rewrites in the Nassaheen document that, that Mead examines and analyzes in Thrice Greatest Hermes, which but those of you who have Thrice Greatest Hermes by Mead, I, I, I urge you to consult that, and you'll find it fascinating reading. And you'll also find in there that Mead lists lists the titles of a number of Gnostic documents that we did not have until the Nagamati Library surfaced, including the Gospel of Thomas and uh, and the Gospel of Philip, and all of those are listed. He has those listed as documents we knew existed, but they didn't come come to light until we actually dug up the Nag Hammadi uh, uh, documents way back uh, after, right after World War II. So anyway, um, the way the way um, Hippolytus gets into this, he uses basically he uses this Nessian document as his launching point. And he, he his launching point for his um, his refutation of all heresies, and he 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 claims that this is he and in his estimation this is the basic heresy of of the Gnostics, and what he claims here is, and based upon this document was some uh, and if, if the document is as he purports it to be, he's probably right that the Nessenes are pointing to as many dying gods in the history of paganism, uh, and classical paganism and ancient paganism, as they can, as they can cite, and uh, in, in, indicate that Jesus was the last of the, of the, uh, the heavenly men, the last of the descending uh, saviors, if you will. And, of course, this quite probably, as I said, this probably influenced Fraser's uh, Fraser's uh, Golden Bough because Fraser's Golden Bough, as those of you know, that's a that was a work that, um, as far as religion and occultism is concerned, Fraser's Golden Bough is like Darwin's uh, Origin of the Species. It's it was a bombshell because uh, uh, Fraser. Fraser um, dealt with all of these old vegetation gods and, and their relation to, uh, to folklore and to religion. Now, um, just to get us just get, get going here, I want to start. Uh, this is from the, the Gnostic Society Library, which you can access online. And that's http uh, stroke stroke org stroke library stroke HYP uh, underscore uh, refute uh, number five dot HTM. If you want to go there and uh, and check this out, Hippolytus refutation of all heresies, book five, and these are the words of the old bishop himself. The following are the contents of the fifth book of the refutation of all heresies. What the assertions are are of the Nasine, who style themselves Gnostics, and that they advance those opinions which the philosophers of the Greeks previously propounded, as well as those who have handed down mystical rites from both of whom the Nasine, uh, taking occasion, have have constructed have created, 
have constructed their heresies. And what are the tenets of the Nicene and that their system is not framed by them out of the Holy Scriptures, but from astrological art? What is the doctrine of the Sethians and that purloining their theories from the wise men among the Greeks, they have patched together their own system out of the shreds of opinion taken from Marseus and Linus and Orpheus. Well, we're all, all familiar with Orpheus. Now, what are the tenets of Justinus? And I think they're referring to the, the emperor who reversed Christianity there, and that his system is framed by him, and um, not out of the Holy Scriptures, but from the detail of marbles furnished by Herodotus the historian. Chapter 1. Recapitulation, characteristics of heresy, origin of the name Nicene, and the system of the Nicene. Now, I think that in the, in the four preceding books, I have elaborately explained the opinions propounded by all the speculators among both Greeks and barbarians respecting the divine nature and the creation of the world, and not even have I uh, omitted the consideration of their systems of magic. So that I have, for my readers, undergone no ordinary amount of toil and plagiarism from my colleague Arrhenius in, in, in my anxiety to urge many, many forward into a desire of learning and into steadfastness of knowledge in regard to the truth. It remains, therefore, to, to hasten on to the refutation of the heresies, but it is for the purpose of furnishing this refutation that we have put forward the statements already made by us. For from philosophers, the heresies uh, deriving starting points and like cobblers patching together, according to their own particular interpretation, the blunders in the ancients have advanced them as novelties to those that are capable of being deceived. As we shall prove in the following books and in the remainder of our work, and of course, you know he 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 then launches and he he launches out against Simon Magus, and of course against uh, against our our our, our favorite uh, uh, Valentinian Marcus, and uh, the opportunity invites us to approach the treatment of our proposed subjects, and to begin from those who have presumed to celebrate a serpent, the originator of the error in question. Though certain expressions devised by the energy of his own ingenuity, the priests then and champions of the system have been first those who have been called Nicenae, being so denominated from the Hebrew language, for the serpent is called Nas in Hebrew. Subsequently, however, they have styled themselves Gnostics, alleging that they alone have sounded the depths of knowledge. Now, from the system of these speculators, many detaching parts have constructed a heresy, which, though with several subdivisions, is essentially one, and they explain precisely the same tenets, though conveyed under the guise of different opinions, as to the following discussion, according as it progresses, will prove. These Nicenae, then, according to the system advanced by them, magnify as the originating cause of all things else, a man and a son of man. And this man is a hermaphrodite and is denominated among them Adam. And hymns many and various are made to him. The hymns, however, to be brief, are couched among them in such form as this. From thee comes father and through thee comes mother, two names immortal progenitors of aeons. O denizens of heaven, thou illustrious man. But they divide him as Yerion into three parts, where they say, of this man, one part is rational, another psychical, and another earthly. And they suppose that the knowledge of him is the originating principle, principle of the capacity for a knowledge of God, expressing themselves thus, the originating principle of perfection is the knowledge of man. While knowledge of God is absolute perfection, and all these qualities, however rational and psychical and earthly have, the Nicene say, retired and descended into one man simultaneously. And of course, that's the Christos and the Paraclete. 
Jesus, who, born of Mary, and these three men, the Nicene says, are in the habit of speaking true Jesus at the same time together, each from their own proper substances uh, to these peculiar, peculiarly their own. For according to these, there are three kinds of all existent things, angelic, psychical, earthly, and there are three churches, angelic, psychical, earthly, and the names of these are elect, called captive. Chapter 2. Nessini ascribed their system through Mary, Mary Mane to, to James, the Lord's brother, really traceable to the ancient mysteries, and their psychology is given in the Gospel according to Thomas. A Syrian theory of the soul, and that's Phoenician, actually, should read. The systems of the Nisenai and the Assyrians compared. Support drawn by the Nisenai from the Phrygian and Egyptian mysteries, the mysteries of Isis, and the mysteries allegorized by the Nisenai. These are the heads of the various numerous discourses which the Nisenai asserts James, the brother of the Lord, handed down to to Mariam, to Mariamne, in order then that these impious heretics may no longer belie Mariamne or James or the Savior himself. Let us come to the mystic rites whence these have derived their figment. To a consideration, it seems right of both the barbarian and Grecian mysteries. And let us see how these heretics collecting together the secret and ineffable mysteries of all the Gentiles and uttering falsehoods against Christ, and are making dupes of those who are not acquainted with the orgies of the Gentiles. For since the foundation of the doctrine with them is the man Adam, and they say that concerning him it has been written, we shall declare his generation. Learn how, partly deriving from the Gentiles, the undiscovered and the diversified generation of the man, they fictionally apply it to Christ. Now earth, say the Greeks, gave forth a man, earth, first bearing her godly gift, wishing to become mother not of plants devoid of sense, nor beasts without reason, but of a gentle and highly favored culture. It, however, it, however, it is difficult, the Nicene say, to ascertain whether Alicomarius, first of men, rose upon Boatians over Lake Cephasus, or whether it, uh, it were the Idean Cretus, a divine race, or the Phrygian uh, Corapontes, whom first the sun beheld springing up after the manner of the growth of trees, or whether Arcadia brought forth Pegasus, um, Pelagus, of greater antiquity than the moon, or Eleusis produced Daelus, an inhabitant of Raria, or Eleusis begot Cabrius, fair child of secret orgies, or Pallery brought forth um, Pelagian Alocinius, oldest of the giants. Now, I'm going to cut through a little of this and, and try to explain uh, in, in terms that we are familiar with uh, what he's trying to get at here. The, um, he continually refers to Phoenician mysteries as Assyrian in this, in this document. Why he does this, I'm not quite sure, but, uh, but it's pretty obvious. Now, the uh, there are two two dying god mysteries, uh, one Phoenician and one Anatolian or Phrygian. Now, ancient Phrygia was right in the center of, of Anatolia, which is presently Turkey. Now, the Egyptians, according to this document, considered the Phrygians to be older than they were. Now, we've only recently, only recently have we discovered that that might very well be true. Because right there in that Phrygian area, we've discovered the oldest civilized ruined temple that, uh, in the whole world at this point, and it dates back to 11,000 B.C. And so the Phrygians were, in fact, a very, very ancient race. Now, they had 
what they ended up with was a, a Tammuz or Baal or uh, Adonis-type dying god whom they called Atos in later times, in classical times. Now, and those of you who are familiar with uh, with the uh, the Phoenician dying god legend, and if you if you followed us in the, in uh, in uh, discussing our our interpretation of it, and also Jesse Weston's interpretation of ritual to romance, you know that that Adonis, the Phoenician dying god, was originally Baal, and and was resurrected in the oldest version by uh, by his sister, the war goddess Anath, who eventually became uh cognate with the goddess Astarte. And and uh this is this whole legend of resurrecting the dying year king so we can have uh, who is a vegetation god, a rain god. This idea of resurrecting him, uh he, he dies yearly, uh in the in the heat of summer and the drought. Uh, and every seven years, they they would have a terrible drought uh, in in the, the the Palestine Syrian area, and it lasted for seven years. Now we're having that right now in California, and our our ecology is very very much like uh, like Palestine. So we're in the middle of one of these seven year periods of drought. Uh, but uh, then what would happen would be enough in the earliest version. Uh, Astarte in the later version would descend uh, in the fall and in, in our version we discussed with Salome's Tense of the Seven Veils and going down through the seven gates of the spheres all the way down into the underworld to resurrect Baal so he could return to us and be reborn at winter solstice um, with, the, with the return of the rains and um, the Phrygians uh, or the later day Phrygians had a different version of it, and they they uh, their version of it they called the instead of calling him Adonis as the as the Phoenicians eventually did. When the Phoenicians came under the influence of the Greeks, uh, he became known uh, Baal became known as Adonis, and Astarte became known as Aphrodite, and uh, and that uh, that the whole event. Centered around the uh, the temple at Afaka, which was a spring that sprang from from a cliffside up in the Lebanon, and it was a waterfall that descended down and with the headwaters of the River Hebron. Now, uh, supposedly Adonis, in the later version of the story, Adonis was this beautiful young god who who Aphrodite loved and who Astarte loved. And he was attacked and and mortally wounded by a wild boar, and and he was gored by this wild boar, uh, and um, so his blood uh, flowed down down to the sea. Well, nature helped uh, this phenomenon in the fact that as the water rose coming out of the Afaka Spring, the water rose. Uh, going down down the gorge toward the toward the uh, Mediterranean, and it hit a hematite layer, and that's when the water turned red. And so when the water when the red water came pouring out into the Mediterranean, that was supposed to be the blood of Adonis, and that's what Jessie Weston uh, that was her uh, clue that the that the mystery of the Holy Grail had its origin right there at Afaka and with the death of Adonis and the river and the river running red. And uh, Jesse Weston in her Ritual to Romance, 1920, uh, this this is a book that very, very strongly influenced us in, uh, in, our, uh, in our whole idea of reconstructing the the Canaanite seasonal ceremonies and reconstructing the uh, the death and resurrection of of Prince Paul and um, and also realizing that uh, that the Holy Grail symbolism 
began there, and I pretty much agree with Weston. And those of you who have not read uh, Jesse Weston's From Ritual to Romance, uh, I urge you to, to read it, because it, uh, um, this, this Holy Grail symbolism went all the way through, and, and later, later on, um, Hippolytus, uh, after he gets done with the Nicene document, he launches into a, a uh, into an attempt to refute uh, uh, Marcus the Valentinian, who was, uh, according to Curran uh, uh, Berry and and uh, the the developer of a Greek version of the Kabbalah, which may have actually influenced the Hebrew Kabbalah, and and of course uh, Marcus. Uh, Hippolytus's refutation of heresies here and his and his analysis of the Marcosian uh, celestial numeration system was what led us to being able to reconstruct uh, Marcus's Summa Sophia, his uh, his uh, his Kabbalah of of astrology. He, and Marcus Marcus uh, was able to to literally literally make a Kabbalah out of the celestial sphere. And uh, that, so the origin of that also, uh, Hippolytus, I believe, was Kieran Berry's main source in, in his excellent book, The Greek Kabbalah, which which I very, very much recommend to those of you who are interested in this subject. Now, um, one of the things about the Nicene document that, that we... we uh, we need to also mention is that in the course of going through all of this, uh, these these things that um, that Hippolytus is trying to refute, uh, he also mentions that that they derive symbol the symbolism from Herodotus's uh, version of Heracles of Hercules. Well, yes, Hercules was originally Phoenician, and and. Uh, and the labors of Hercules, of course, uh, are are a very important part of the Initiatic Code, because the labors of Hercules represent uh, man, the divine man, if you if you if you will, a man's progress through the signs of the zodiac, in 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 his in his present incarnation and in his previous incarnation and his future incarnations. And in fact, the labors of Hercules may be considered a key to past and future lives in an astrological sense. And he um, he does he, he he so he does he he does mention this too. He mentions that the her what he considers the uh, the Heracles heresy. And um, so all of these um, all of these various things. Oh, too and too he 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 also. He also cites the Egyptian Isis and Osiris, and as you may recall, um, Isis, in her search for the missing phallus of Osiris, visits Phoenicia, and Astarte um, uh, helps Isis recover the missing phallus of Osiris from the sacred tree uh, in Phoenicia, and this may very well be that sacred tree a sacred cedar tree up there, up there at the shrine of Bafaka. Uh, and we, we so so uh, Osiris, of course, is as those of us, especially those of us who are who are um, very much into the Golden Dawn, are aware that Osiris is is the original archetype uh, for for Jesus, and the reason being that Osiris is he's the dying god who stays dead. Just like Jesus, he's the dying God who dies. He ascends to heaven, and then he waits up there to, uh, for 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 all of his uh, all of his um, uh, his followers who are going to 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 come up and stand before him in judgment and um, be admitted to heaven, or if they haven't been if they haven't been good, thrown to the crocodile, and uh, so. This the hall of judgment, and the, uh, you know starts with with Osiris is very very much, and and Jesus is very very much an Osiris an Osirian uh, type of type of God, 
and uh, so and and, and uh, Hippolytus is criticizing the Nicene's for for daring to mention that. Um, now, um, as I said, this this document and also the the documents uh, his his own refutations that follow it, like his uh, his diatribes against Simon. You know, Simon Magus had an influence on, on Marcus and, and and of course he certainly had an influence on Crowley. Simon Magus was a contemporary of uh, of Jesus and uh, and he believed he, he himself, Simon Magus believed he was a Christ figure himself. And they the Gnostics, um the the Valentinians and the rest of them, uh they they believed that that nature and the cosmos were one, and the Summa Sophia was the goddess of wisdom. And they, based upon originally the idea of Nuit, of the Egyptian goddess Nuit, who uh, spanned the whole heavens, you know, she, she, uh, she sort of did a kind of like a, like a handstand, like a big push-up, and, and her body extended all across the heavens. And that became the Summa Sophia of the Gnostics, evolved into it. The idea of this goddess who had all of this, uh, the signs of the zodiac and, and the, uh, uh, on her body. And she was the first uh, astrological human, uh, human form. And we know this because they used to depict her, her uh, with all these astrological symbols on her, and uh, on the lids, uh, on the lids of the sarcophagi, and uh, in, in the ancient uh, Greco-Egyptian uh, sarcophagi in the Alexandrian period. Uh, now, um, supposedly, according to to Gnostic uh, theory, uh, that the Summa Sophia fell. She had she nature nature. Uh, nature had a fall, and this was referred to as the fallen thought of God. So Simon, uh, in order to uh, to anthropomorphize, and if he himself, if he himself was a Christ figure, which he thought he was, he then went to a brothel in Tyre and found a, uh, a rather I imagine a rather attractive uh, courtesan in residence there, whom he equated with the fallen thought of God, Summa Sophia. He also equated her with uh, Helen of Troy, and he called her Helena. And the reason why he he equated her with Helen of Troy is that that part of this idea of the fallen thought of God being female, she falls and 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 she's abused in her human form she she suffers all kinds of abuse and and uh and, and Helen of Troy, as you recall was was kidnapped and uh, and uh supposedly she was the face that launched a thousand ships uh had a, had a major war fought over her uh and so um uh, Simon thought that that was a perfect analogy for the fallen thought of God, was Helen of Troy. So he called his his lady, his priestess, Helena, and and uh, and she then uh, she then uh, helped him officiate in his version of the mass, and uh, uh, that's of course uh, I'm quite sure that was Crowley's. Crowley's uh, uh, inspiration for the Scarlet Woman, uh, and and uh, and Simon Magus, of course, uh, as, as we as those of you who ever saw that old film with Jack Palance playing Simon, and I think Virginia Mayo played Helen in there. Uh, Simon came to to a bad end. He he supposedly went to Rome and 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 decided to go head-to-head with Peter at that time. And uh, Simon claimed he could fly. And supposedly, well, at least according to the way the film went and the story went, he built a tower. And 
and went up to the top of it, and he announced that he was going to fly, and got up on the top of the tower with uh, with some sort of a uh, a Dallas and Icarus kind of a uh, of a flying suit, something like Leonardo would would do up, and uh, and I think Leonardo broke a few arms and 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 sprained a few elbows trying to leap off the top of Barnes with his version of it, but but uh, supposedly Simon, uh, I remember in the film, of course, Jack Polanski is way up at the top of the tower and puts on his he puts on his bat suit and 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 proceeds to take a nosedive off the tower and and uh, and and uh, and obviously you know he didn't make it and uh, actually what probably what what would probably really happen if this if there's any truth to this incident was that what Simon probably did was he uh, he probably built a great big tall uh, pole and put a, a platform on the top of it and sat on the top of it uh, and like some of those people did in those days, mystics did this quite frequently. They would get on top of a pole and they would sit up there in a in a sort of what, like a yoga seat and they would stare at the sun, or they would, uh, or they would stay up. They would they would stay up there without eating and drinking until they would until they were taken up to heaven supposedly, or perhaps until they were eaten by birds or whatever. But so I suspect if there's any truth to this, it was Simon was uh, was uh, probably trying to. He was probably a pole sitter more than a more than a aviator, but. Uh, uh, if there is any truth to it, and if Peter, if Peter supposedly cursed him and, and caused him to fall, so Peter might have gotten some some friends of his to chop down the pole. Maybe that might have happened. I, I, I think that's probably a better explanation for it. But um, uh, the um, the various the various Gnostic uh, sects that uh, that, that uh, Hippolytus is is going after here uh, are are uh, really trying to do what hermetic what hermetic philosophy and this is I think the reason why uh, George Mead included this Nicene document or his uh, or, or, uh, uh, a recapitulation of it and a critique of it in his thrice greatest Hermes is because it does relate to a hermetic principle. The Hermetic philosophy, as we most of us are aware, was classical was the classical pagan alternative to Gnosticism, and it was to Christian Gnosticism. And what what uh, the pagans were trying to do with the Hermetic philosophy was they were trying to offer an alternative. It was actually Neoplatonic, more. And in Hermetic philosophy is in many ways more Neoplatonic than it is Gnostic. Now, what I mean by that is is that that Neoplatonism was uh, was a theory of descending emanations, which fits very very nicely into Kabbalah uh, as it later developed. Uh, the idea is is that that the emanations of God come down through nature. And in Kabbalah, they come down through the spheres, the tree of life. And as these emanations proceed downward, they become more differentiated, and 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 they're more differentiated and more uh, more uh, personified. And so you can recover, you can recover your pagan your pagan mythology as you descend into and through the through the spheres, the various spheres, the planets. Especially the planets that uh, that relate to the particular pagan, pagan god forms that you that you might want to uh, that you might want to resurrect. This became, of course, very popular in the Renaissance, and we had uh, we had people like Pacino uh, trying to resurrect this Neoplatonic Hermetic type system, where where you can recover uh, recover the treasures of paganism. Uh, and apply them to to the planets, to the planets within yourself, and to the planets uh, to the planetary, and then later on to the planetary aspects of the spheres of the tree of life. So um, 
So this Nicene document, because it is an attempt to um, to relate classical mythology to to the Christian to the Christian principle, uh, this is why it, it is. Uh, George Mead is correct in, in including it in the uh, in his uh, wrap up on the Hermetic uh, tradition, because Marcus uh, Marcus of Valentinian certainly has a has a very strong place in the Hermetic tradition, and um, the uh, the uh, the idea of of uh, he, he even they even mentioned the Eleusinian mysteries in here at one point. At one point uh, in the Nicene document, they have even cited Persephone as as one of the as one of the the the, uh, the god forms that Jesus is replicating. And if you recall, you know, when Persephone uh, had to stay down, spend uh, half the year down in, down in hell, and then the other half in Hades, and uh, and uh, and then she then she she came back up and we could have we could have spring so she was a vegetation goddess in this sense. Um, so now I mentioned the uh, the golden bough, Fraser's golden bough, and I think that uh, this is another one of those those uh, monumental uh, explosions of knowledge that have tremendously influenced. Uh, um, modern Hermetic tradition, and and uh, you know, it, 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 the, the Golden Bough came out back in the 1920s. Uh, Fraser is one of these. It's a it, it's a as I believe there were originally nine volumes of it. Uh, now, by the way, it has been updated because Fraser's some of Fraser's assumptions and some of his research has been discovered to be not uh, too accurate. So it needed an update. And Theodore Gaster, uh, quite a good mythological scholar, he took on the task of updating the Golden Bough. And that is referred to as the New Golden Bough. And if you can get a hold of a copy of it, I've got an old paperback from back in the 1960s, which I treasure. If you can get a copy of the New Golden Bough, uh, which is edited and annotated by Theodore Gastner, then I would certainly get a hold of it for your library. It's one of those books like um, Davidson's Dictionary of Angels that you just really ought to have in your uh, in in your library. To uh, and the influence of Golden Bough on on uh, on magic and on uh, and, well, Crowley, by the way, did a. a a series of short uh, little vignettes called Sprigs from the Golden Bough. And it's a delightful little stories that he came up with based on the Golden Bough. And uh, he was very, very much influenced by it because uh, it's one of those, it's one of those uh, essential research, research, research uh, books. I know when I was, when I was, uh, back in the days when we had libraries instead of Wikipedia, I spent a lot of time going through the Golden Bough making notes. And uh, I wonder if somewhere in the Golden Bough, if maybe the new Golden Bough might be online somewhere. If it isn't, it's certainly worth digging up a, a copy of it. Now, uh, the one thing about uh, Jesse Weston's From Ritual to Romance she has taken the entire Grail uh, legend, you know, and Lancelot and Percy and, and Percival, and and she's taken this and she's related so many elements in the Grail legend, uh, like the Fisher King and uh, the um, the Fisher King and the Wasteland. Uh, she's taken these elements and related them to the to the uh, the Adonis. A Faka Adonis story, and shown how they relate. For one thing, the wasteland idea. <laughs> the uh, one of the one of the main things in the Grail legend, which I'm sure you recall, is that the king is the land, and the land is the king. And if the king is sick, the land is sick. 
and if the king dies, the land dies. And if the king is reborn, or the king is, is revived, the land is revived. And this is, is uh, very definitely one of the grail, one of the grail uh, um, myths, one of the one of the grail uh, uh, mythical themes. And this certainly relates to to the desolation of uh, Moat in summertime uh, after Baal has been killed, uh, and the land is and, and Moat uh, Moat says. Death and rotten dissolution, that is all thou hast in store. I have laid my curse upon thee, drought and famine evermore. And those of you who are familiar with our with our Adonia ceremony, and also we 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 have retained the one the one uh, bit of old Aramaic chant. That they actually used in that in that Adonia ceremony, Hoya he, Hoya Don, alas my brother, alas my lord, and we still use that. Um, so the Adonia, by the way, that was the first seasonal ceremony we recreated. Was this one that Jesse Weston was uh, referring to in her in her from ritual to romance? Now this fits this from ritual to romance. The whole Grail thing fits. So very, very well with Marcus and his version of uh, of uh, Christianity, where Marcus um, Marcus obviously uh, considered uh, it's pretty obvious he considered Mary Magdalene to be the fallen thought of God, just as Jesus may very well have considered. You know, Simon may have taken that idea from Jesus, actually. I think Jesus may very well have been the, the one who originated Mary Magdalene being the fallen thought of God. And uh, I think Simon may have been copying Jesus in that sense when he, when he used Helen, Helen instead of Mary. But um, uh, the, what uh, Marcus did, and Hippolytus uh, recasts this, Marcus replicated the Aflaca phenomenon by uh, by his communion, he would have he would have his his priestess pour from a clear pitcher. She would pour clear water into a chalice, and what he would do is he had he had some concentrated wine, uh, wine concentrate powder or whatever, in the bottom of the stem of the of the chalice, and as she poured the water into it, it would turn red. And then it would overflow, and that would be that would be their replication of the afaka, of the afaka, the of the flowing of the of the of the blood. And they took this, by the way, they took this ceremony all the way to southern France, uh, you know, up the Rhone, up the Rhone River. And whether or not they equated the Rhone, the Rhone River in France with. Uh, well, the Ibram River in Lebanon, I don't know, but but they took it all the way up into that area, and it became, and that was the origin of of the Grail of the Grail tradition going going into southern France, where the Grail tradition actually uh, took root, and uh, and you know the British they like to think that Joseph of Arimathea went to Glastonbury, and they have their own version of that. But there is also uh the French the French claim that exactly the opposite was true that the Grail and the Grail family uh went to uh, to southern France. Uh, certainly Marcus and his uh and his priestess um bore that out. Now those of you who have seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and I think we all have at one point or another if you'll recall, King Arthur and his knights go clippity clopping up to this French castle, and they look up, they look up to the top of the Barbican, and there's this French knight up there. And King Arthur looks up at him, and he says, "I say, do you have a Holy Grail?" And the French knight looks down and says, "Yes, we have a Holy Grail, and our Holy Grail is better than your Holy Grail, you stupid English person, you." I in your general direction, and. Uh, of course, that, that probably uh, got a lot more laughs out of out of out of uh, 
French and English literature professors than it did have students than it did anyone else. <coughs> because there's been quite an argument for quite a while on just where the Holy Grail uh, and the whole King Arthur tradition started. Did it start in Glastonbury or did it start in, in southern France? Well, if you if you uh, if you're a fan of Holy Blood, Holy Grail, uh, you certainly think it started in France, and uh, where Jesus's daughter, supposedly Sarah, supposedly carried on the tradition and eventually got in and eventually got into the Merovingian uh, line in, in in southern France, uh, according to that to that way of looking at things, but. Anyway, Marcus uh, Marcus definitely connects with it, and um, and Hippolytus gives us the the background on that. And of course, Jesse Weston sets it up for us with from virtual to romance. So um, I think that the the this Nicene document uh, that Hippolytus uh, had and. Uh, and uh, it is. It is. It, the only place it survived, of course, is in his transcript stripped of it here in, in uh, the uh, uh, refutation, uh, uh, refutation of all heresies. That's where it survived, and as I say, George Mead has a very nice rendition of it in Christ's Greatest Hermes. And uh, so, and I think uh, here again, as I say, the 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 references tonight that I think that are really worth looking into for your library. And if you can get a copy of the new Golden Bow that's the Theodore Gaster uh, 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 edited and, uh, and annotated. If you can get a copy of the new Golden Bow and, if you, and of course Dover Books published uh, from Ritual to Romance and it was also a Doubleday Anchor book. Oh, by the way, one more little bit of trivia on Promotional Romance. The next time you see Apocalypse Now and you see Narlon Brando as Colonel Kurtz and he's about to he's about to be assassinated, uh, and he's become the he's become the god king of these of these Laotian tribesmen and uh those of you who've seen Apocalypse Now remember. And he's by his by his cot and there's a little night table by his cot, and right on his the night table, the camera goes over and focuses on a copy of From Ritual to Romance by Jesse Weston. So the next time you see Apocalypse Now, look for that. And uh, that, so it looks like Colonel Kurtz uh, imagined that he was, and that he was, in fact, going to become something of a dying god. Uh, and... I thought that was a that was a a nice little touch that uh, somebody that the scriptwriter in in uh, Apocalypse Now I don't know whether that was Oliver Stone or not well whatever it was it certainly was an appropriate touch anyway this gives you a pretty good idea of what the Nicene document is about and what kind of influence it's had and how important it is to all of us and next week. Next week, we are going to have a real treat for you. Next week, we're going to preview our next book, which is just about ready to come out, Hermetic Yoga, Beyond the Middle Pillar. And uh, this is also going to be not just a book, but it's going to be something totally unprecedented that, that we've never had before. And, and uh, we're going to have a deck of yoga cards. Can you imagine that? This is going to be something nobody's ever done before, a deck of yoga, of hermetic yoga cards. And so next week, be sure and tune in for for a preview on hermetic yoga. And until then, good magic.